Pete has this to say regarding Christina Keneally. Good morning, Marcus. I wasn't going to bother you today, but based on what you've just said, I had to make the point for those of us in the Fowler electorate, it is not a matter of right or left or even diversity. It's a matter of having someone representing us who identifies with us and is of the community. Always love your program. Have a good day. All right, well, let's speak to somebody from Labor about this, Andrew Lee, our hashtag JobKeeper Warrior. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Marcus. Always great to be with you. Thank you, mate. Um, Look, Christina Keneally, um, there's an offensive being mounted by the uh, federal government and Labor detractors, critics, that uh, Christina Keneally being parachuted into Fowler uh, is not a good thing. Christina is one of our strongest performers, somebody who's a former Premier of New South Wales and a a strong policy mind who's uh, able to take the fight up to the opposition, but who also, I think, will be a a terrific advocate for the people of Fowler. Uh, Will she live there, Andrew? Will she live there? Absolutely. She will? She will, Marcus. And uh, uh, she just puts her heart and soul into everything she does. And one of the things I I really noticed about Christina is uh, whatever job she uh, takes on, uh, she does it with absolute gusto. Uh, She's a woman who lives lives life 100%. Uh, and that'll be true of her advocacy for her community. That community will have so- have somebody uh, in either in the in the in the cabinet, uh, assuming yeah. we uh, were able to form government, mm-hmm. uh, and that will mean that they've uh, they've got a voice at the highest level of the government. All right, I've got to do my job here, um, and I say it with the utmost respect. And um, of course, I admire Christina Keneally. I think she's done uh, uh, remarkably well. But you do need to remember that she. <laughs> You know, she was smashed the last time, if you like, uh, when she was in New South Wales as the Premier in that awful election result. And look, I don't know. I I just hope it doesn't come back to to bite Labor at a federal level because uh, the knives are out, Andrew. There's no doubt about it from uh, those critics of Labor. Christina Keneally took over that job at an extraordinarily difficult time. I don't think... uh Barack Obama, Bill Clinton or Tony Blair could have uh, led the New South Wales Labor Party to victory in that particular election. Uh, she uh, she did did well to hold the show together, but it was fairly clear that New South Wales Labor was, was going to lose office. So I don't think you ought to, uh, to hold that against her. She's uh, a formidable politician, uh, one of our, uh, our great stars. Uh, and of course, you know, this situation arises because uh, we have t- more talented women than we have spots. Uh, that's uh, true of Jenny McAllister, Deb O'Neill and Christina Keneally who were contesting for those two upper house seats. Sure. Also true of Pu Lee who I hope will uh, will be able to uh, find an opportunity to serve Labor in the future. She's only 30 and I'm sure she's got a, a bright future in politics ahead of her. Well as long as she's, uh, and this is my concern because uh, I've followed a little bit of what she's been up to and I receive uh, daily emails, well I am now, uh, ever since this announcement by Labor in support of her and uh, and look uh, as you know I, I strongly advocate for you know some of uh, the changes that I want and that I believe that a Labor government could bring to Australians but you know I, I kind of get a little I hate to say it Andrew a little disappointed um, I don't know why Chew couldn't just be allowed to run there and maybe Christina put somewhere else I don't know I know exactly where you're coming from, Marcus. I'm a strong supporter of the rank-and-file pre-selection system. It's uh, served us very well here in the ACT. 
Uh, I think that's the that's the way in which uh, these decisions ought to be made right across the party. Uh, but until we uh, we move move to that system, the world is is it as as it is, uh, and uh, we are fortunate to be served by an array of talented women. Now you look at the other side of the house; they've got about a quarter women, we've got about a half, and that is just uh, chalk and cheese in terms of uh, our commitment to issues like gender equity, sexual harassment, uh, and making sure that we're uh, we're a better nation. All right. Um, yesterday, I spoke to your colleague, soon to be former colleague on the program, Joel Fitzgibbon. I believe he'll be a loss for Labor. Um, hopefully, you can pony up somebody with as much support as he has in the Hunter. Yes, uh, the retiring but not shy Joel Fitzgibbon, uh, somebody who has uh, uh, been a, a very, a very firm voice for the issues that he cares about. And yeah. you know, one of the things I think we we always need to make sure we do with a party is uh, is have. Uh, a contestation of ideas. Uh, we can we we need, we need that uh, that diversity of views because uh, some, having somebody in the room who thinks differently from you tests your ideas, uh, even if they're wrong. That forces you to, to sharpen sharpen your views. And uh, uh, you know, I've enjoyed many conversations with uh, with Joel over uh, over big ideas. He's not somebody who uh, shies for an argument, and he's somebody who is uh, passionately committed to the labour cause. All right, well, um, passionate or not, he's gone. Um, I worry uh, that up there in the Hunter, uh, the Labor vote may be, um, well, eaten up by one nation. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, and I'll, I'll quiz him on it a little later this week. Uh, Mark Latham could well be the elephant in the room there. Yeah, I, I don't know the, the details of what's what's going on, Arthur, but I think it would be a, it would be a bit of a mistake for uh, uh, the, uh, the the people the people of the Hunter to have a representative who would be uh, marginal at best for their their interest in the Parliament. Now, one one nation has uh, in in, gen, in general really struggled to make any impact on the Australian public. In the Senate right now, they they do deals here and there, uh, but they're not a central force to go governing the country and they never will be. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, decisions by uh, uh, premiers, whether or not to do daily press conferences. Uh, the uh, the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, she, she get a start uh, in the Australian Olympic side with that uh, magnificent uh, about-face, uh, I don't know, somersault yesterday. Um, uh, if she wasn't going to show up to the press conferences in New South Wales... Um, <laughs> She should have well, and she was obviously saying that yesterday. Oh well, it's Monday. I, you know, we've reached a milestone. I was always going to be here. Well, then when she made the announcement last Friday and over the weekend, why didn't she tell reporters there and then that she would be uh, fronting up on uh, Monday yesterday? And I believe, in my heart of hearts, she only uh, fronted up to the cameras because the opposition was very strong and Chris Minns. Um, decided to hold his own press conference and uh, Gladys was given hell by reporters and in the press over the weekend. It's hard to be uh, the Premier during a pandemic, but uh, that's what we pay you to do. Uh, Daniel Andrews turned up, turned up day after day through the Victor- Victorian lockdown. Uh, it's, uh, it's what people expect, those daily updates. Uh, here in the ACT, you've had Andrew Barr do- doing it re- regularly through the pandemic. 
Uh, people come to uh, to rely on that calm, clear assurance from the Premier and the health officials, uh, and it's uh, it's it's not just not reasonable to be ducking the job. You know, you're reminded of uh, uh, Scott Scott Morrison not going out to speak to the March to Justice uh, uh, and uh, and refusing refusing to come home and the, during the bushfires. You know, at certain times you take on a big job, uh, you've got to be there to do do it the way in which people expect. All right. Now, JobKeeper, you are our hashtag JobKeeper warrior. Um, what are the latest developments? Um, I noticed that, uh, well, there are some others who ordinarily would be, uh, I guess, a little shy of commenting on this. Uh, it's gathering momentum, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. And a really good uh, story on, six, on uh, 60 Minutes. Mm, has, mm. has, I believe, brought this more into the mainstream as to what's... You and I have been talking about it till, you know, <laughs> till we're hoarse. We've been calling for the repayment of all of this money for so long now, at least, uh, what, eight, nine months, maybe even longer, Andrew, but the others are catching up. That's right. I gave my first speech on this in August 2020 in the Parliament, uh, but it's been fantastic during the last week to see a range of voices from across the political spectrum coming on board and speaking out about the $13 billion given to firms with rising revenue. Uh, we've had uh, Nikki Saver, a former advisor to John Howard and Peter Costello, uh, Janet, Janet Albrecht, Albrechtson uh, and uh, Judith Sloan speaking out against the JobKeeper overpayment scandal. Um, during the week, we've learned that more than $100 million flowed offshore to foreign shareholders, including uh, $5 million of JobKeeper that went to one of the richest families in Singapore. Uh, now, I'm all for foreign aid, Marcus, but if we're going give to give foreign aid, let's give it to uh, poor people in foreign countries, not foreign billionaires. Well, can't argue with any of that, Andrew. And uh, that 60 Minutes report was a damning indictment on uh, the flaw in the system. Absolutely it was. And I would encourage anybody listening to us right now that's still a little sceptical about all of this to to uh, Google it and you can watch it on YouTube, that 60 Minutes report. It was a, a really good expose of the unfairness of the system and uh, how... The federal government allowed so much taxpayer dollars to fall into the bank accounts uh, of, uh, of big business owners, uh, shareholders uh, and others, and as you say, even overseas entities, uh, private schools, uh, even though they had done quite well out of uh, you know the, the pandemic. Uh, we deserve greater scrutiny of how our taxpayer dollars are spent, particularly this amount of money, Andrew, as we know, it'll take generations to pay off. Certainly will. And uh, Liam Bartlett in that, four, in that uh, 60 Minutes account really brought out the contrast with uh, Jan Raby, a pensioner from Frankston who's uh, got a JobKeeper-supported job and has now been overpaid in her pension and has to pay it back at a rate of $15 a fortnight. Uh, the, uh, the call for her to pay it back contrasts with the fact that the uh, Morrison government won't lift a finger to ask some of the... Uh, cashed-up firms in Australia who didn't need billions in government support uh, to uh, to hand the money back. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of uh, your speech on Jan in just a moment just to remind people of why it really should have been called hashtag dividend keeper rather than mm. job keeper. All right, Andrew, thank you for your time, mate. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, Marcus. Take care. Andrew Lee on the program. Jan is a school teacher who works part-time and her school received job keeper. As a result, she was, according to Centrelink, overpaid by $1,049.85.
This is the letter that Centrelink has sent to her demanding the repayment of that amount. She's among 11,000 Australians who've been asked to make repayments as a result of receiving JobKeeper. Meanwhile, nearly a dozen billionaires owned shares in firms that got JobKeeper and paid dividends. This is the letter the government sent to Solomon Liu of Premier Investments that got $100 million. This is the letter they sent to Jerry Harvey of Harvey Norman that got $22 million. This is the letter they sent to John Gandell, whose company Vicinity got $11 million. This is the letter they sent to Mark Besson, whose home consortium got $200,000. This is the letter they sent to Brett Blundy, currently on his yacht in Monaco, for best and less getting $43 million. This is the letter they sent to James Packer, of whom Crown got $110 million. This is the letter they sent to Nick Politis, whose company AP Eagers got $130 million. And this is the letter they sent to Glenn Ainsworth, whose company Aristocrat got $11 million. Jan is on a payment plan over the next six months and she's appalled the government is chasing one of the little people struggling on the bottom of the rung. None of those billionaires would need six months to pay JobKeeper back. Yep, there we go. Um, and again, I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record. Uh, and I'm not against uh, the companies that receive JobKeeper in the interim. They didn't do anything wrong. Absolutely. All these uh, companies that Andrew mentioned there, uh, they were not acting outside the law. But as good corporate citizens, bearing in mind that, you know, uh, we are going to be repaying this money for generations to come, considering that, you know, their their business has done so well, uh, their estimation of losses was nowhere near what the requirements were to receive this money in the longer term, they should pay it back. 